If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 14. We'll be there in a moment. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning or something that you can um, look at as a Bible this morning, don't worry about it. We'll have the verses on the screen here in just a moment. But this is a third message in a series that we have titled Emmanuel, God with us. And we're basing this study on a verse that's found in the first chapter of Matthew. It's verse 23, and as we've done the last two weeks, I'd like for you to join me in reading this verse out loud this morning. Can we do that? Lift it up good and loud this morning. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Evangelist Billy Graham once said this, he said, I never come to Christmas without thinking of the thousands of people who are lonely and troubled at this time of year. Christmas is God's reminder that we are not alone. God has come down from heaven to tell us he loves us. We've seen thus far in our study that God is with us in the valley. Two weeks ago, we preached from Psalm 84, and we talked about the significance of the valley of Baca in the lives of the Jews, and we talked about the difficulty that they met with as they passed through that, that treacherous valley on their way to Jerusalem to worship. And we talked about how the, the, the valley uh, metaphorically speaks of those, those low, hard, difficult times in our lives when it, we just struggle, it seems, to put one foot in front of the other. And thankfully, even in those times, God is with us. Last week, we looked in the Old Testament at the life of Elijah. Elijah found himself in the wilderness. And we talked about the, the difficult subject of depression. And if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you, and I do this simply based on the, the overwhelming response uh, that I've gotten throughout the whole week on last Sunday's message on depression. It tells me that it's real. And that it's real even in the lives of God's people. But here's what I want you to understand this morning. We learned this from the life of Elijah last week. Even when we feel alone and we feel lost, 
and disoriented. And we're convinced that no one really understands. Listen, God understands. And He's with us. As we turn our attention now to the midway point of Matthew's gospel, we find a third truth that I trust will be of help to you today, and that is that God is with us in the storms. Now, we understand a little bit about storms in southwest Kansas, do we not? Absolutely, we do. They can, we can get some pretty nasty storms at times, and they can come up pretty fast and sometimes very unexpectedly. Just about everywhere I go to preach and people find out I'm from Kansas, their response is this, oh, that's Tornado Alley. Do you ever get any tornadoes? And officially, we are in Tornado Alley. I mean, we are right smack dab in the center of it all. As a matter of fact, just this week on Friday, I was talking to a salesman from Seattle, Washington, and he said, so where are you calling from? And I said, I'm calling from liberal Kansas. And he said, oh, Kansas, that's Tornado Alley. Well, yeah, it is. But fortunately, we've not had to deal with, with anything too major. Praise the Lord for that. Now, when I say that God is with us in the storms. Here's what I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about those tumultuous times that, that have a ten tendency to arise in our lives seemingly out of nowhere. To borrow some lyrics from the great hymn writer of our day, Willie Nelson. Okay, maybe he's not a hymn writer. But one day our life can be characterized as blue skies smiling at me. Nothing but blue skies do I see. Blue birds singing a song. Nothing but blue skies from now on. I mean, life's good. I mean, everything's good, family's good, our health is good, our job is good, our finances are good. I mean, it's just good. But then in the blink of an eye, I mean, just that fast, one phone call, one text message, one email, one trip, to the supervisor's office, one call from the doctor's office, one call from the school, and all of a sudden, life's not good anymore. Our life looks more like the tornado scene from The Wizard of Oz. I went back and looked at that this week. It's crazy. Well, the Lord's disciples, they knew what it was to be in a storm. 
Let's read our text and then see what the Lord has for us today. Matthew chapter 14. We'll begin reading in verse 23. And when he, that's Jesus, had sent them, or excuse me, had sent the multitudes away. This, just to give you some context, what we're reading follows on the heels of the feeding of the 5,000. A tremendous story, an incredible miracle of God. And when Jesus had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a, let me back up to verse 22, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Now we'll pick up verse 23. And after he had sent them away, the Bible says he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship, the ship that the disciples were in, was now in the midst of the sea, would be the Sea of Galilee, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. We sung about that, who walks on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he, Jesus, said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, look at this church, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying of a truth, Thou art the Son of God. Sudden storms on the Sea of Galilee were, were well known or are well known and, and they are well recorded from history. And from my understanding, what happens is the violent winds uh, come off of the Golan Heights and they get trapped in the basin in which the Sea of Galilee is located. And at times, these storms can be deadly. Even to the most uh, skilled uh, sailors, the most skilled fishermen who fished on the Sea of Galilee to make a living, sometimes these storms would come up and, and fishermen would die. In much the same way, the Sea of Life, if I can use that metaphor this morning, the Sea of Life 
can produce some very sudden and very devastating storms. And the truth is, some of you sitting before me this morning may find yourself in the middle of one of those storms even as I speak. Your storm could be represented by the word cancer or bankruptcy or fired or divorce or incurable or terminal or gone or any number of other words. You didn't expect it. You never saw it coming. But here it is. And you're in it. The question now is, what do you do? How do you make sense of what's going on? How do you survive? And how are you going to keep the ship of your life from sinking? And I believe the text before us contains a number of helpful principles this morning that I hope you'll take in and absorb and let these biblical truths help you today. And if you don't find yourself in a storm today, thank the Lord, but chances are one's coming. It's just the world we live in. It's the life we live in. And somebody has said, you're either going into the storm, or you're in the midst of a storm, or you're going out of a storm. We live in a fallen world, a broken world, and that's just the way it is. And I say that to say this, though you may not need this today, God's truth is you may need it tomorrow. We don't know. And here's the first biblical principle from our text. Being a Christian does not exempt us from the storms of life. The first thing I want you to notice is that these disciples were doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. When they encountered this storm. That is they were in the Lord's will. They weren't out of it. Now you would think. That being in God's will. Living the life that he's instructed us to live. According to his word. Would, would provide some shelter. From the storms of life. But that is simply not the case. Nowhere in the pages of God's Word are we as believers guaranteed smooth sailing. Can I get a witness right there? I mean, that's the truth. As a matter of fact, God's Word tells us that we should expect to encounter difficult times. I mean, Jesus was honest and upfront with his followers in John chapter 16 and verse 33 when he said this, In the world ye shall have tribulation. That's not a promise to smooth sailing. That is a promise to some rough seas along the way. I mentioned these words 
of Peter a couple of weeks ago in the first message, but I want to bring them to your attention again today. They're found in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6, where Peter said this, Wherein ye get greatly rejoice, though now for a season, there's a great truth. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. When we're in the valley, here's what we need to understand. We're walking through the valley. That means we're going to get out of it. And Peter says here, now for a season, for a, a time, for a, a moment, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold or various kinds of temptations. And I like the fact that the Holy Spirit led Peter to include these three very helpful words if need be if jesus was god in the flesh and he was and if he knew all things which he did then why didn't he see this storm coming and keep his disciples from having to go through it. Three words. If need be. Jesus had a reason for sending his disciples out on the Sea of Galilee. Knowing they were going to encounter a life-threatening storm. And I believe the answer is revealed in the last verse from our text in verse 33. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying of a truth, Thou art the Son of God. Now watch this. Earlier in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 8, we find the disciples in the boat, in another storm and this in this particular storm Jesus calmed that storm with just the the sound of his voice but look what they said chapters earlier in the first storm they said what manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him now, let me point out the difference between their first response on the bottom and their second response, which is on the top. The first time Jesus calmed the storm, according to their words, they really weren't sure who he was other than Jesus of Nazareth. That's all they knew. They haven't grasped the, the truth and the reality of who Jesus really was. But the second time, as you can see, they were brought to a complete understanding of who Jesus was. And you see it in their profession, thou art the Son of God. So here's my point this morning. Those who have been brought through the storms before Understand that one thing they accomplish is that they give you a greater appreciation for who God is and for what he can do in your life. 
One of the purposes of storms and difficulties in our life and, and, and the Lord's intended purpose is to bring us closer to Him and to allow us get, to get to know Him better. So the first principle is this. Being a Christian does not exempt us from hard times in life. But the second principle that I want to share with you this morning, if you allow me to, I want to step out of the book of Matthew for a moment and, and just talk briefly about this same incident as it's recorded by Mark in Mark's gospel. And the principle is, is this. Our storms are not unknown to God. In the book of Mark, it talks about Jesus sending the multitudes away, going in the mountain to pray. But then it also adds this little snippet in Mark's narrative. It says that Jesus saw the disciples struggling. So it's not like he woke up with what, oh man, I forgot about my guys. Oh no, what's going on? No, Jesus was aware. He knew the storm was coming. He knew how violent it was going to be. He knew that his disciples were going to be caught right smack dab in the middle of it. And the Bible says that when all of this was going on, he was watching. <laughs> he was just watching. And I think sometimes we wonder whether or not God is aware of what's going on in our lives. Maybe you've been there. God, do you not even know what's happening? Can't you even see what's going on in our family? Can you not even see what's going on in, in my life personally? Can you not even see the struggles I'm having at work or at school or with the neighbors or with whatever? God, can you not see that my company is downsizing and my job is in jeopardy? God, can you not see this? Are you not aware of this? It's like, God, where are you right now in my life? But rest assured, he knows. Though that diagnosis caught you by surprise, it didn't catch God by surprise. The death of our oldest son on February the 6th of last year rocked our world. That phone call literally sent me to my knees. And it came out of nowhere. But though we were surprised, God wasn't surprised. Well, Pastor, if God was all you say he is, then why didn't he keep that from happening? I don't know. I stand here as a pastor, but I stand here as a father with a lot of questions. A lot of questions. I don't know. But I know this, even though there seemed to be a time when God's face was hidden from me. I'm glad that he still saw me. And even in those times of our life where it's like we can't see God anywhere, listen to me this morning, he's there. And he's aware of everything that is going on. 
Let's move quickly to the third learning point that I want to offer you this morning. And it's really more in the form of a caution. And my caution to you this morning and myself this morning is this. Let's not let the storms of life blow us off course. Matthew recalls the disciples finding themselves in the midst of the Sea of Galilee. Which brings up something I actually discovered when I was preaching, preparing to preach a different message. And and I preached it here, and I may have used this uh, back then, I can't remember. But I've got a picture of the Sea of Galilee. And I've always just thought in my mind when I've read uh, the various uh, narratives of this story from Matthew, Mark, and John, I mean, I always just pictured in my mind that the disciples just launched out and and, uh, started uh, rowing across the widest part of the Sea of Galilee, uh, which is about 10 miles wide, and when they hit the five-mile mark, boom, the storm came, and they they were in trouble. But as you begin to read Matthew and Mark and John's account, and you begin to study uh, a little bit of the the geography uh, associated with with all of that, here's what you're going to learn. Jesus fed the 5,000 right here at this point. uh, It was on the, uh, the northeast part of the Sea of Galilee, just a little south and east of Bethsaida. And the disciples' original destination was Capernaum. And so no doubt their intention was to row and stay close to the shore because they knew how violent the storms could be and how fast they could come up on the Sea of Galilee. And so no doubt their purpose was to just row this little distance and stay close to the shore and and go to Capernaum. But as they began rowing, this storm came up out of nowhere, and it began blowing them off course to the point that they actually came to land here at Gennesaret. And so somewhere between here and here, they got blown off course and they found themselves in the midst of the Sea of Galilee in, in, in trouble and really in fear of their lives. You say, well, Pastor, what's the point? Here's my point this morning. Sometimes, please listen, sometimes God's people let the storms of life drive them off course. That is, it drives them Away from him. And listen, in nearly 40 years of ministry, I've I've seen this far too many times. Something comes into their life, and things don't turn out the, the way that they expected. Their family member still dies, or they still lose their job, or they're still in financial debt, or, or, and they've gone to God, and they've prayed, and they've asked, and they've pleaded, and they've begged, and things just don't turn out the way they wanted them to turn out. And, and, and the next thing you know, they're walking away from the Lord, and they're angry, and they're disappointed. And they're disillusioned and they're bitter. 
because they've allowed this, the, this storm, this difficult time to blow them off course. Now please understand this morning, I am not being judgmental. And, and, and my intention this morning is not to condemn anyone who may be here this morning, and that's exactly where you're at. I know you're in church today, but in your heart, and maybe even to an extent in your life, you're away from God. And you're allowing this difficulty, this storm, to lead you further and further away from Him. My purpose this morning is not to condemn you. My purpose this morning is to encourage you. And I want to do it by borrowing from, from the words of others who said, God, listen, God is too wise to be mistaken. And he is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand and you don't see his plan, and when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. My wife and I and our son and our daughter and their families and our daughter-in-law and her family. Listen, we have, we have been forced, if you will, to simply trust God's heart in the last year and a half. Because we don't get it. And we don't like it. We hate it. We just celebrated TJ's birthday. I hated it. I'm not going to lie to you. I hated it. I hated the whole day. And so I, I'm not condemning anybody today. But listen, before you just walk away, before you just walk away, would you listen to me this morning? God loves you. Believe that, trust that. God loves you because it's true. last but certainly not the least of the things that I want to share with you this morning is this. God knows when to step into our storm. God knows when to step into our storm. Look at verse 24 again. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea tossed with waves for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night Jesus came unto them. He went unto them walking on the sea. The fourth watch of the night would have been sometime between 3 and 6 in the morning. Which means that the disciples could have been rowing as many as 8 to 10 hours against the strong winds of this storm. So no doubt they were tired and they were worn out and they were exhausted 
when Jesus came to them walking on the water. Jesus knows when to come to our rescue. And it may not always be when we think he ought to come. As a matter of fact, it's probably never when we think he ought to come because yesterday was too soon. But it's always when he knows it should be. He waited until the darkest part of the night. He waited until the disciples were absolutely worn out and they were stranded in the middle of the Sea of Galilee to come to them. And so the natural question that arises is why? Why did he wait so long? And anything I offer to you this morning is my own opinion, it's speculation, but here's what I'm going to offer you this morning as an answer to that is that he was waiting until all hope of any human solution to their problem was gone. When he knew they couldn't row anymore, when he knew that they couldn't get themselves out of this situation, that's when he came. And I'm convinced this morning that it was a matter of increasing their faith. And what better way to increase their faith and ours than to let us get caught in a storm to the point that the only hope we have is divine intervention. Here's what we learned at that point. When Jesus is all we have, he's all we need. At first, the disciples thought that Jesus was a, a ghost and, and they were afraid, but then they heard his voice. I love this. Above the howling of the wind and the crashing of the waves and, and the sound of their own voices, as they cried out in fear, they heard Jesus say, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. I love it when I learn something new while studying a, a familiar story. And, and here's what I learned when studying this story. When Jesus said, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. That phrase, it is I, is literally translated in the Greek, be of good cheer, I am, be not afraid. Amen. And we preach, what's the significance there? You remember when God sent Moses to Pharaoh to tell him to let his people go? Before walking out, Moses thought, you know, I probably ought to ask. So when I get there and, and Pharaoh says, well, who sent you? God said, you just tell him I am sent you. I am. 
When Jesus said, be not afraid, I am, there's a lot of significance there. That is a statement of his person. He was telling them that night, God is here. The one who spoke this wind and these waves into existence. The one who is bigger than any storm that could ever come into your life. That one is here. I am is a statement of the Lord's protection. You understand this this morning, that Jesus did not have to come to them on the water. He could have stood where he was and spoke the word, and boom, the storm would have ceased. But I believe that he did it to prove his willingness to do whatever it takes to rescue his children. His coming to them gave them an unforgettable reminder of his power and the extent of his divine protection. I am was also a statement of his provision. I am is obviously an unfinished, open-ended statement. I mean, Moses had to be standing there thinking to himself, I am, like, what, what, what's the rest? Is that your first name, your middle name, or what, what gives here? I am. I am what? The Lord's answer would certainly be, Moses, I am everything you need. You fill in the blank. You need strength? I am strength. You need comfort? I am comfort. You need rest? I am rest. You need patience? I am patience. You need guidance? I am guidance. You need peace. I am peace. You need hope. I am hope. You need grace. I am grace. You need supply. I am your supply. If you need wisdom, I am wisdom. If you need courage, I am courage. If you need help, I am help. If you need support, I am your support. I am all of that and more. Say, well, pastor, I need, that's who God is. Yeah, but I need, that's who God is. You fill in the blank, God's the answer. I am everything that you need. And by the way, it wasn't I was, and it wasn't I will be. It is I am right now, December the 15th, 2019, God is. He's everything that you need person protection provision those are the things that the phrase i am represent there's one more very important thing represented by these words and it's this this morning stay with me it's his presence Jesus was telling his disciples that the self-existent one who always was and always is and always will be was with them. 
He was telling them that the one who said, I will never leave you or forsake you, was keeping his word. The one whose name means God with us was right there in the midst of the storm. Church, can I say this today? What was true for the disciples that night is true for God's people today. He will never leave us nor forsake us. No matter how rough the storm is, no matter how dark the night or how strong the wind or how high the waves, He is with us. Now real quick, let me make this, this, this point. I've heard many messages on Jesus walking to the disciples and Peter walking on the water and many, many preachers have stood and just absolutely lambasted Peter for his failure. And as my own private opinion publicly addressed, I think the only ones who choose to look at it as a failure are those who would have never gotten out of the boat in the first place. I think there's a better take personally on verse 30 and it's to look at it from the standpoint of how, how far Peter actually walked on the water. Anybody here ever done that? Eh. So until you've walked on water, let's not be too critical of Peter. You ever tried walking on water? Right to the bottom. Listen, there was only one perfect person on the water that night, and it wasn't Peter. Yes, he took his eyes off the Lord. I get all of that. But how many of us here have not gone through a storm at some point and, and removed our focus from the Lord, the one who can help us, and we've gotten our attention on everything else around us and how ugly it is and how bad it is and, 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 and the devastation that it's going to cause. And before we know it, we're sinking. Verse 31 tells us that the moment that Peter started sinking and cried out for help, Jesus was there. And Jesus will be there for us when our faith fails and we begin to doubt. And so I am so thankful today that even though Peter's doubt kept him from reaching Jesus, it didn't keep Jesus from reaching him. And so here's what that tells me this morning. If you're here today, as I said earlier, and you're in a storm and you're beginning to doubt God's love and God's care and God's concern, and the truth is you're moving farther and farther away from him. Listen to me. This part of the story tells me this morning that you are not out of God's reach. And if you'll admit that you need help, and you'll cry out to the Lord, he'll reach out, and he'll keep you from sinking completely. Praise his name. As our musicians come, I've spoken primarily to believers today. Those who've already accepted Christ as their Savior, they know that if they die today, they'd go to heaven. There's no doubt in their mind. 
Can I just say a word to those of you who've not yet taken that step of faith? As Peter cried out, Lord, save me, Jesus reached down to him as he reached up to Jesus. And what a perfect illustration of what it means to be saved. As God reaches down to us in love, we reach up to him in faith, believing, and we cry out, Lord, save me. Has there ever been that Lord save me moment in your life? That moment when you realized I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself and I need Jesus to save me. Has there ever been that time in your life? If not, listen, today could be the day. Today could be your Lord save me day. December 15, 2019. The same holds true for those who've been blown off course. And again, I know you're in church today. You're where you should be. You're where you need to be. But your heart is drifting. And you know that. And this morning, God spoke into your heart. And he's told you, listen, if you'll just, if you'll just reach out, just reach up. I'll help you. I love you. I want what's best for you. I'll get you through this. Just trust me. Believe the word of God and act on it no matter how you feel because I promise a good result. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning,